When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thinking Basketball Podcast. My name is Ben. Welcome back. I feel like it's been forever since the last episode, but I think only a few weeks. And just a few things have happened in the NBA since then. We had a wild and crazy trade deadline, all-star teams announced, all sorts of sky is falling scenarios uh, for certain teams. Um, So yeah, today... Speaking of All-Star, today I want to do something a little different. I'm not aware of anyone who has done this over the years, and it's something that's been in my mind for a while, certainly since I did my all-time player series, and that is to create a sub-All-Star team, meaning guys who aren't quite good enough to be All-Stars, they're not playing at that All-Star level, but they are really, really high-quality players. They typically have skills that add, if you put them on certain teams, move the championship needle a little bit, a little bit more than just a role player. So I'm sure you guys actually can come up with a, a better name than sub all-star. That's the, that's the category I've been using. If you look at the little player graphs on my all-time series, you'll see sub all-star in there, I think. And I have referenced it in a couple YouTube videos I've made. So Again, I'm making up the name for the category, but the concept is it's a guy who isn't quite at that all-star level. You know, it's interesting. There are only a few players that impact the game a lot. And so the difference between how much you impact the game as a superstar and how much you impact the game as, say, a low-level all-star, like, I mean, top-of-the-heap MVP-level player, that difference is usually about the size of the difference between an all-star player and like the 100th best player in the league or something, or even the 150th best player in the league. It's a pretty huge difference. So as a result of this, you end up with few players that are far apart at the top, and that's where we spend a lot of time arguing typically. And then as you go deeper into the pack, you have more and more players that are crammed together. So that makes this exercise of picking sub-all-stars, typically guys that are like top 40, top 50 players in the league. Again, I'm just arbitrarily making up the cutoff. But the spirit of the thing kind of leaves you with that top 40, top 50 players. And that makes this exercise pretty painful when you get to the end where you say like, okay, there could be five or 10 more guys that I might put in here. I don't really want to get into the minutia of ranking the 51st versus the 50th best player, but I have to, I have to put a cutoff in there somewhere. So that's what we're going to do today. My sub all-star team, the first ever thinking basketball sub all-star team. I'm excited about it. I spent way too much time on it. It was incredibly difficult. I look forward to what you guys have to say, especially 
if uh, one of these guys is on one of your hometown teams and you watch him every night because sometimes you just without doing a real deep dive on the player uh, especially at these levels it's difficult to tease out the minutiae those subtle little things so we're going to do sub all-stars but first I do want to weigh in really quickly on some of the trade deadline activity I know everyone and their mother has a piece grading the trade deadline for me I love when the trade deadline's over so we can get to the you know the new shuffling of the deck when players change teams is really exciting and it's really fun for me to be able to you know see guys in different scenarios see what their value looks like see what their fit looks like and so my interest is in more in forecasting that a couple a couple trades really jumped out to me that I feel like I have I, I go in a different direction than a lot of people that I've seen. And the first one is Toronto. I'm not entirely sold on Mark Gasol's fit there. And we'll we'll get to Mark Gasol later in the episode. But here's the thing. He came out of the gate this year, looked phenomenal. Absolutely played great. Like like a top 15, top 20 player kind of level play. Defense, passing, scoring, three-point shooting. Since then, there's been a steady decline. And it, and it looks physical. The movement, everything looks clunkier. Whatever's going on with Mark, the game isn't as fluid as it was at the start of the season. He's in his, what, like his 34-year-old season or something. So it's understandable. But any kind of lack of mobility to me and that sort of stationary high post offense that he likes, those two things on both ends, I don't see them fitting particularly well with what Toronto does, what they excel at, the type of lineups they field. And their defense, their athleticism, their speed at times, their their, um, just general ability to get down the court muck stuff up for you I think he will do well I mean the the obvious connection here is that he just plugs in for what Valanchunas was doing and if that's the case I think he's an upgrade over Valanchunas but how much of an upgrade and Danny LaRue did mention this on a dunked on episode that I caught earlier in the week where he was asking a similar question or is he, is Gasol going to share the court with Ibaka if he does if he doesn't share the court what does that mean for minutes allocation so that's that's one where I just look at what Toronto did it's not about the parts going out or contracts or anything but I I just am not convinced that that really makes them that much better I already like the Raptors quite a bit as uh, an Eastern Conference finalist or even a team that has a chance to win the East. So in that vein, I'm not entirely sure that that Gasol move really was significant. The other thing that jumped out to me is what Philadelphia did. And I've seen a lot of people say, wow, these moves with Philadelphia, they now have a they have a big four or something. We will also get to Tobias Harris in this episode and without talking too much about Tobias here I think I go back to the the Simmons and Bede fit 
and even Jimmy Butler's style of offense with those guys. Um, with Redick on the court, spacing, movement, open stuff up, I think that the overall offense will be fine. It's I'm not saying there's catastrophe. Their offense isn't a poor offense right now. But you start this this is where portability and scaling and all these fun concepts are magnified. This is why they can be such a big deal. Because do you have the parts, do you have the pieces to come together with other skilled offensive players and play off of them? And I just don't see a lot of that with the entire group. Harris, you know, I've heard other people say this. Harris's ability to hit outside shots as a spot-up shooter may be his biggest value that he provides to this lineup. Not necessarily his ability to self-generate or create a little offense for others. And so if that's the case, then essentially you're looking at a guy, and he's and Harris is not a great defender, so you're essentially looking at a guy that right now feels like he's a big name, one Western Conference Player of the Month to start the season. I, by the way, I, I did not think that was a deserved uh, award as an aside, but all that said, you're left with a guy who seems like he would be another huge piece, who when you slot him in, I'm not sure how much better the offense gets. I think it gets a little better. Absolutely. Just, they just Look, in a sense, you're replacing Mike Muscala. So you're taking Muscala's outside shooting and potentially improving it, and then all of the other little things, you're filling in these little holes. And your bench lineups might get a little better. So that, to me, is where the upgrade is. But it's not like you've just added a... a you know, Clay Thompson next to Steph Curry or something. This is not Dwayne Wade coming in next to Chris Bosch. You haven't added uh, another huge piece to the offense. And on the defensive side, I'm not really sure they get much better. So a lot of people have this buzz around Philadelphia that now I've seen people say they're a team that can compete with Golden State. Um, I have a hard time seeing that. I have a hard time seeing that. I, I still do not even really consider... I, I'm not convinced Philadelphia is one of the three best teams in the East. Let's put it that way. Let's put it that way, leave it at that, and move on to the first annual, maybe the first annual, the first ever, certainly, Thinking Basketball sub-All-Star Team 2019. Here we go. Wait, first, first, before we get to the sub-All-Stars, there are just guys who are All-Star quality players in my book who didn't make the All-Star team. So let's just start with those players. For me, those guys, first let's do some mainstays. Al Horford, despite the knee injury, I feel like when that, that knee has been healthy and by the end of the season, he is still going to look like he's having an all-star type season. His defense is just too good, along with the passing and the outside shooting. And that that brings up a philosophical point that I should note. For me, when I look at this evaluation, all-star team right now, uh, sub-all-star player for this podcast, I am trying to avoid noise, avoid hot shooting streaks or 
uh, things of that nature that, you know, really by the end of the year will look different. And so it's more of a holistic evaluation of the player where I'm saying, assuming this guy is healthy or maybe more accurately, because it looks like this guy will be healthy in a month or two, this is the quality of player he will be in the playoffs when teams are game planning against him, et cetera, et cetera. So Al Horford, another mainstay for me, Draymond Green. Uh, he is still absolutely an all-star player despite dropping off a bit. Rudy Gobert, no-brainer. And then a couple new guys. I did an entire video, my first video, on the Thinking Basketball YouTube channel. That was on Pascal Siakam. He is right there at an all-star level player for me. Uh, Defense, scales, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. Just call him an all-star. Mike Conley, a guy who, of course, is uh, sort of known for never having made an all-star team despite playing right around that level. And again, push comes to shove. Mike Conley just basically looks like an all-star level point guard to me. There are just too many slots to fill up. In the West and in the league, sometimes you can be the 27th best player in the league or the 30th best player in the league over and over again and never make an all-star team, and that's Mr. Mike Conley. Who else? Drew Holiday. Drew Holiday is another guy to me playing at an all-star level. Again, I'm not saying he was a snub, but everything about him, his passing continues to improve. The defense, fantastic. Uh, just having another overall really good year. He's an all-star level player to me. And rounding out the all-star quality guys who didn't make the team, this one was interesting for me because I originally started with him in a sub-all-star position, which again just gets a little arbitrary when when the players are this close. But I'm going to call Yusuf Nurkic an all-star this year. Yusuf Nurkic's season... And really, it was, I think it was the, the YouTube video by Coach Daniel, one of my favorite YouTube channels, that put me over the top. But his passing just keeps getting better. His defense in certain spots, like around the rim, has been pretty impactful. Um, everything about what he's doing offensively looks nice in terms of synergizing with what Portland has going. And his impact, his metrics across the board are just fantastic. If you haven't checked him out, he's he does really well in my box plus minus model, in uh, basketball references model, in RPM, in PIPM. Uh, I even think in the, the RAPM studies that are publicly available, he's doing very well. So this is a guy who I think across the board was having so much impact or, or just looking like he's delivering enough skill for me that I ended up putting him in the all-star bucket. Very interested to hear how people react to that. Okay, now I think that gets us about 31 players. Uh, There's a guy I want to take off the all-star team who I don't think is playing at an all-star level, and that's D'Angelo Russell. I've had a lot of questions on YouTube about D'Angelo Russell. Not sure I'll get around to making a video on him before this season ends. He's certainly an improved player. I like his passing a lot. I like uh, the fact that he's creating offense up top. Obviously, the thing that's holding him back is his ability to get to the rim, his ability to get easy free throws, easy points. That dampens his efficiency, 
And while I really like a lot of what he's doing, he's fun to watch. He's he's much improved. To me, him getting a nod on the All-Star team, uh, a bit too much. So the way I see it, I think that kind of leaves me with 30, 30 guys who are about All-Star level. And so my goal was to take it here with the sub-All-Stars out to about 50 or 51 players. It might be 51 players. Someone can count it at the end. So these are the guys that historically don't get any recognition. The Lamar Odoms of the league, when they play, people implicitly acknowledge that they're you know much better than other players, that they're worth bigger contracts, and so on and so forth. But they kind of fall by the wayside historically. And I wrote about this in Thinking Basketball. I called it star counting. And these guys are the, the first uh, sort of victims of star counting. When you look back at a team, you say, oh, the 2011 Heat had one, two, three All-Stars, and the Mavericks had one All-Star. Therefore, the Heat must be better. And if the Heat aren't better, then the Mavericks must be doing something incredible to win, and that something must be done by the star. Dirk Nowitzki, not the coach, not the teammates, not the synergy, the chemistry, uh, certainly not these sub-all-star level players. And on that team, for me, by the way, I always thought Tyson Chandler, I wrote an article about it at the time, eight years ago, Tyson Chandler was an all-star level player. And then even a guy like Jason Terry, he's he's like that sub-all-star, six-man, microwave scoring, can run the offense a little bit, spot-up shooting and spacing, etc. And you're playing at a very high level in the playoffs doing that. So that's the idea here. So who are those guys for me? Let's start with the guards. I, I feel like I, I feel like I need a, a music guy, you know, like one of the, a music guy to come in with the NFL films. You know, we're getting. Maybe I'll see if I can edit that in some kind of music to build up the excitement here. Here we go. Uh, guard. Let's start with with essentially guys that play point guard. We'll do points, wings, and bigs. Uh, let's start with the small guards. Number one, Eric Bledsoe. Uh, Eric Bledsoe, I know a lot of people out there in the blogosphere and online who do really great work had him on their all-star ballot. I think it's a fair projection. He is sort of like a classic sub-all-star player to me. Still really good defensively. I think a lot of what's been happening with Giannis and Milwaukee's offense is probably overstating Bledsoe's offensive play in the impact metrics. And so if you're familiar with his metrics, they're huge. I see Bledsoe, though, as a sub-all-star player. Next small, from the Boston Celtics, Marcus Smart. Marcus Smart, to me, one of the best non-big defenders in the entire NBA. That alone pretty much gets you close to being in some kind of like all-starry, sub-all-starry band as long as you're offense doesn't fall apart and in years past his offense has been a problem but what's happened this year he built he's built on his playmaking and he's one of the best passers on the Celtics right now and that three-point shot has improved and and again being sensitive to noise I'm not convinced that he's going to be whatever it is a 37 percent three-point shooter for the next five years but I think his mechanics to me look better and his shot selection is much better. And so when you combine those things, I think at least for the time being and the near future, the the days of Marcus Smart looking like Antoine Walker from the three-point line are over. 
So to me, Smart is comfortably a sub-all-star. I actually think you can make an outside case that he's at that all-star level right now. But since I'm higher on defense than anybody, no one else is going to make that. So we'll go with Marcus Smart, sub-all-star. Okay, next point type guy on the list. I already mentioned him, D'Angelo Russell. Uh, De'Aaron Fox. De'Aaron Fox getting better and better, having a breakout year. I did an entire video on YouTube on him. And Donovan Mitchell, kind of same thing, did a video on him. Um, That leaves one more point position for me, and that's Chris Paul. And this was a tough one, again, philosophical. I think at the end of the year, as he continues to round into shape, no guarantee, but I think we're going to look back and see 2019 as a season where Chris Paul had a drop-off, but he was still a very good player. Certainly in the games back recently that he's come back, I, I can see flashes of that, but I also throughout the year see decline in his play that, that just hasn't been there in the past. And so the question really is, well, in the playoffs, will CP3 be able to do enough that we look at him and say, oh, he's, he's still kind of at that all-star level. Yeah, he had the hamstring and he missed a bunch of time, but look what he did in the playoffs. Look at his postseason numbers. That's to be determined. I think I'm kind of hedging my bets here and just saying Chris Paul looking like he will be a sub-all-star player in 2019 for me. So those are the smalls, the the point-type guys. Bledsoe, Smart, Paul, Mitchell, Darren Fox, D'Angelo Russell. Okay, moving right along. Let's do the big men next. Uh, The bigs, I only have four bigs on my sub-all-star team. Number one, another guy from Milwaukee, Brooke Lopez. So if you go back to that star-counting concept, right? Right now you see it in real time to a certain degree with Milwaukee because you have people looking at Milwaukee from the outside who certainly aren't familiar with that team intimately. They don't watch the Bucks every night. They're surprised that the Bucs uh, have you know, exploded or grown the way they have, changing the system, bringing in Coach Bud. And they look at it and they go, Giannis, Giannis, Giannis. And while Giannis is a viable MVP candidate, I don't have an issue with that at all. I thought he would be here, and if Milwaukee did well, I thought he would be the front runner. But the thing we lose sight of sometimes is the guys around that. So just like Bledsoe and how well he's playing at the guard position, Brooke Lopez, Brooke Lopez to me is really having the best year of his career. I've never been a huge Brooke Lopez fan. But the, and some of it's coaching because they're taking advantage of his, or they're protecting against his limitations on defense and trying to funnel stuff to him, keeping him in drop coverage all the time. Uh, and, and that's helped that coaching element. But I just like the way he's playing offensively better as like a true stretch three and D big. And, and it's hard to deny. I don't, I mean, he's not going to shoot. He's already down to like 38 or 39%, but it's hard to deny that he's always been a good shooter. He's always been a good mid-range shooter, long mid-range shooter, foul shooter. And so 
I think this is here to stay for the year. I think he's a stretch weapon. Uh, He's just playing very well across the board. And it was hard for me to look at all of his numbers and all of his impact. Both box score and impact metrics and your PIPMs, RPMs, all that stuff. And say he's not playing at a sub-all-star level. So the Bucks, yes, they have Giannis, but next to that they have uh, Brooke Lopez. They have Eric Bledsoe, another guy who was you know on my radar here, just has played so well, Malcolm Brogdon. And you go on and on down the list and you say, wow, this is a really good team. They aren't putting weak players on the court. Okay, next big, Marc Gasol. Already talked about him briefly. Uh, Steven Adams from Oklahoma City. Another classic sub-all-star player. Value from the offensive rebounding. Knows his role around the rim, in the paint. Dribble handoff action. uh, Incredible effort player. Plays smart. And then a really strong defender. Maybe not a defensive player of the year candidate, but the overall package... Uh, that's that's just a sub all-star kind of high quality package player that's what that is you look at the metrics the metrics reflect that they the the impact are all in one metrics kind of view him as a as a guy who's very good but not great or good but not great so steven adams and that leaves my last big and that is miles turner And Miles Turner has just been fantastic to me in Indiana. He's been one of the better defenders in the league. He pops when you watch games. His rim protection has been fantastic. His defensive metrics are fantastic. If you said, I have Miles Turner in my defensive player of the year nominations, if he's in my conversation for that award, I would not protest. I would not protest in the slightest. So the bigs, uh, Lopez, Adams, Gasol, Turner. Clint Capella was a was a tough cut for me. Not sure what to do with Clint Capella. I'm not sure how I've ever felt about Clint Capella other than liking Clint Capella in the last year or two. But I feel like when I put him under a microscope this year, he he, he didn't really pop to me as a top 40, top 50 player. Interested to hear your thoughts on Clint Capella. All right, the wings. And if you are quick with math, you realize that there are a lot of players who fall into the wing category here. And I I really want to blast through the wings. But as I look at the list, I realize a lot of them actually are very tricky. Very, very tricky kind of players to evaluate. And I think a lot of that is because traditionally wings score more and so to value you almost have like scoring as a confounder you're like okay I have to look at the scoring numbers but is the player primarily a scorer or does he do other things is he really good at other things and his scoring is down a little bit then is that kind of player better than a microwave scorer gets tricky so here we go with the wings this should be fun uh, boy, I'm I'm feel like I'm hot taking left and right. What did I get myself into? I don't know what I got myself into. Let's let me get through this. Let me hold my nose and get through this. For the wings, uh, Jason Tatum, not an obvious one 
by the way, but I think he has played well enough. I, I do very much view him as continuing to get better inch by inch. He's now going to the basket more. I did an entire YouTube video about him if you want to see my case for him. Uh, and in that video, I talk about how he's been reluctant to drive and now lately starting to get to the rim a lot more. I really like the way he's playing. Really strong defender. So Tatum is in. Uh, man, there are almost no Thaddeus Young. That was another easy one. Thaddeus Young, fantastic defender right now. Just absolutely should be on the short list of all all defensive consideration, in my opinion. That was another one. These, so these guys, when you have really good defensive value, I mean monster defensive value. Here's another guy, Robert Covington. Robert Covington's defense, his 3 and D, the fact that he knows his role, you add that up. And I think this is where defensive value gets muted the most. You just assume, okay, my, my Devin Bookers of the world are in this next tier of player. But I really don't think that's the case. I don't think long-term studies show that's the case. I don't think historical team movement and patterns show that's the case. I think there's a lot of guys who are leading scores a lot on weak teams who go somewhere else and sometimes they're the third best player, sometimes they're the fourth best player, and sometimes they go to really good teams and they're bench pieces at best. One of the examples I used in my book was J.R. Ryder or Isaiah Ryder. So so I'm not, uh, by the way, I'm not uh, throwing Devin Booker under the bus. I know Suns fans are very passionate about his prospects. I'm just saying you have to be careful assuming because a wing is a scorer on a subpar, on a really poor team. I guess Zach Levine falls into this category. You have to be very careful assuming that that guy is a really high-level player. Whereas wings who, or or now we have hybrids, uh, I guess, because guys like Tatum and Covington will play both forward positions. So when you have big defensive impact there on good teams, that's going to carry over and translate. And your style of offense and what you have on offense then rounds out the player and makes you a sub-all-star player or in some cases, an all-star player. So, who's that leave for my wings? I've given you Tatum. I've given you Covington. How about Danny Green? Danny Green, kind of uh, the exact same vein. He kind of feels like the ultimate role player. But I think when you put him on different high-quality teams, between his defense and his shooting, and I do trust he had an injury last year, and his shooting was down, his play was down, I do trust he's closer to a 40% shooter. His passing within that system is a little bit better than just a a true one-dimensional spot-up shooter. And his perimeter defense, his ability to switch, his guile, his experience, I mean, every little thing to me puts him over the edge into this sub-all-star category. Tobias Harris, I already mentioned, I think he's a little bit more of an obvious one. Uh, Another obvious one, Jimmy Butler. Wait a second. Wait a second. Jimmy Butler's an all-star. I have Jimmy Butler, I have all-star written next to his name on this here sheet of paper. I apologize. This is what the trade deadline does to your brain and trying to make YouTube videos. Man. Jimmy Butler. Yeah, I don't want to talk 
too much about him. I think the case is obvious. Just the defense uh, and his overall ability. He's still an all-star level player to me. I know he was uh, sort of not necessarily considered by a lot of people given his off-court issues this year, what happened in Minnesota. But again, you get to the playoffs, you get to the end of the season. Is he one of those 25, 30 best players in the league if you put him on random teams? His entire game is defense. Yes. Jimmy Butler, to me, is an all-star. Sub-all-star wings, Joe Ingles. Now, if that comes out of left field for you, let me tell you a few things about Joe Ingles. Big Joe Ingles fan. He is, first of all, impact metrics all view him kind of in this range, in this sub-all-star range. Secondly, he is a very good passer. Very, very good passer. His passer rating in my metric this year is 8.2. It's essentially a scale of 1 to 10. And, of course, he is a fantastic outside shooter. Uh, Outside shooter this year is only at 36%. But I think sometimes you look at the, again, if you're a points-per-game guy, you look at Joe Ingles, and you think of him as a extremely complimentary piece. But I think his defense is underrated, and I think his offense fits so well. He's, he's to me, just another one of these guys that if you really watch him play, he's like a Ginobili light. He just fits in a lot of places well, helps a lot of teams well. Uh, Joe Ingles, sub-all-star. Let's see, who's left? Um... How about Luka Doncic? The tough one with Luka is how good he'll be at the end of the year. Because he has been getting better and better and better. And I'll talk about this. uh, One of my next, I think my next video on the Thinking Basketball YouTube channel will be on Luka Doncic. And there we'll look at this subtle improvement. But his overall game, and the numbers reflect it, are at this sub-all-star level to me, and they're getting a heck of a lot closer. Like the idea of him being an all-star player this season is no longer about fanfare. Let's put it that way. Now the last couple were really tough. Uh, J.J. Redick, and just for time, I'm going to blast through these last couple. J.J. Redick, shooting, spacing, just overall efficiency, Offensive versatility, that's good enough to overcome some defensive shortcomings to put him in this range for me. Uh, A guy having a down year, really tough call was DeMar DeRozan. Sub-all-star to me. I've talked a little bit about him in the past, so I won't go into too much detail. And the last one is Rudy Gay. Rudy Gay, to me, is having a career year, basically. I really like the way he's defending. I like his versatility as a defender. I like what he's added offensively. So, to recap, the first ever Thinking Basketball sub-All-Stars. Here we go. I think this takes us out to like the top 50 or 52nd player in the league or something like that. It gets excruciating for some of these close calls. Uh, Running down the list again, it is Brooke Lopez, Steven Adams, Mark Gasol, Miles Turner. Those are the big men. Small guys, Eric Bledsoe, Marcus Smart, Chris Paul, Donovan Mitchell, 
De'Aaron Fox, D'Angelo Russell, and then your quote-unquote wings or forward-type players are Danny Green, Jason Tatum, Robert Covington, Rudy Gay, Luka Doncic, Joe Ingles, Thad Young, J.J. Redick, Tobias Harris, and DeMar DeRozan. Toughest cuts? Uh, Capella. I'll just leave these guys here. Capella. Um, Paul Millsap, for philosophical reasons. I'm not sure where, where he'll end up. He's been in that range for me before. C.J. McCollum has also been in that range for me before. I feel like there's a little decline in his game. And I'm not sure he's been the third best blazer this year. Because Aminu, Chief Aminu was also a tough cut. I really like a lot of the stuff he's done. Oh, Otto Porter. He's another guy who in the past has sort of been a traditional sub-all-star player having a down year. For me, just couldn't quite make the cut. One more really tough cut. Well, I guess three, because there's two guys I, I want to mention before we go. Uh, Sabonis in Indiana. Again, he pops pops with numbers, and he pops statistically. And I, I guess I'm just not sold as to whether he can be a full-time guy. If you can ramp that up to 30 to 33 minutes a game, uh, you know, what happens when he's on the court by himself, et cetera, et cetera. But certainly someone I looked long and hard at. And then what to do with guys like Devin Booker and Jamal Murray. I mean, I feel like after going under the hood, that could be its own podcast, so I'll table it. But these are players that are often compared to each other. I tend to like what Murray's doing a little bit more. And as I alluded to earlier with Booker, it's hard to say what happens still when he's put on a better team. And the defensive metrics on Booker are painful. I actually think they overstate how bad he is on defense. There's just no way someone can be that bad on defense with the physical tools he has. And I've seen a handful of Suns games this year, certainly, uh, although he's missed a lot of time. And yes, he is not a very good defender by any stretch of the imagination. But some of those numbers to me are just noise. They have to be. You can't be that bad at defense, can you? I don't think it's possible. I think you're you're basically saying you're like below some kind of replacement level defender. So I think both of those guys are interesting case studies because they feel they have the texture, they have the game quality of a player who fits more in this range. But I couldn't do it. Couldn't couldn't make the cut for me. The other guys ahead of them, I think, are all better players, more impactful players in more situations. So that's it. First ever, maybe the last ever, now that I've, I feel how painful this is, maybe the last ever uh, sub-all-star team, thinking basketball sub-all-star team, 2019. Hope you guys enjoyed that. Hope I've given you enough to discuss. Um, and yeah, that's it. Thanks for listening. As always, a, a big, big thanks to my patrons for helping me do this. Um, it's been wild. I'm trying to make more videos and find time for podcasts. I'm trying to get other big names or interesting writers on the podcast as guests. So hopefully a lot more to come in the future. Uh, but until then, talk to you in the next episode, and I hope you guys are having a fantastic day. <laughs>